Welcome to Hashing It Out, a podcast where we talk to the tech innovators behind blockchain infrastructure and decentralized networks. We dive into the weeds to get at why and how people build this technology and the problems they face along the way. Come listen and learn from the best in the business so you can join their ranks. Alright, welcome back to Hashing It Out. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Corey Petty, with my trusty co-host, one last time, Colin Couchet. Say what's up, everybody, Colin. What's up, everybody, Colin? And that is... I'm going to miss uh, y'all. I'm going to miss that. That was that focus. Just to get into it, that's the last time you'll be hearing Colin say that officially. You may come back as a guest host at some point, but Colin is leaving the show. Uh, we're going to talk about that today. And introduce to you two more hosts that will be joining me in this journey of hashing things out. That is Dean Eigenman and John Mardlin. Let's start uh, the show by having you two introduce yourselves, who you are, where you come from. Uh, we'll just take it from there. Dean, you go first. Hey, guys. Uh, I'm Dean. I work at Status with Corey. I'm a protocol researcher there. Based out of Zurich, Switzerland. Yeah, that's that's a shitty introduction. Just, we'll get more into that later. That is the worst introduction, but I hate introducing myself. <laughs> I'll ask you <laughs> questions, don't answer them. John, have I? So, do you, do you have any? Do you have any kids, Dean? No, no kids. No kids. Zero. Oh, Dean's like eighteen. <laughs> oh, so this twenty-one. This time, okay. All right, John. Yeah, yeah. My name is John Marlin. Um, my online handle for crypto dealings is Marellian, M-A-U-R-E-L-I-N. Uh, I'm a smart contract security auditor, uh, lead at Consensus Diligence, where I've been since 2017, uh, where I worked at Coinbase. Um, my background is in math and mechanical engineering, so anything I learn I've, I've picked up myself along the way and I like to just put that out there so that I can feel free to ask stupid questions um, makes my life easier right on so uh, how do you want to start this De- Colin let's talk about you why what do you what do you what do you what are you doing with your life where are you going what was the purpose for leaving I'm slowly meandering meandering around you know, walking in circles, talking to myself. Fuck this quarantine. Um, no, I don't know. I'm I'm doing Ava. Um, it's taking up a lot of my time. As you know, the episodes haven't been as consistent lately, um, even with me appearing on it. Um, I hate to say it, but Chella did predict this. Um, the uh, yeah, but you know, I was I was taking up my my focus for for now, and um, I really feel like uh, I'm doing a show a disservice by not. Kind of like passing the torch a little, uh, torch not a little, just passing it. Um, and so, um, yeah, that's what I'm doing. Is basically I'm kind of uh, going to focus on Ava, Ava Labs. Get this, get this, get this uh, protocol out the door. Get the platform launched, um, and uh, reassess my life from there because there's a long road after that too. And 
I don't want to uh, let the show suffer because I'm planning on doing ridiculous hours for the next, you know, couple of years. So I think that's reasonable. And I, 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 I personally appreciate uh, the fact that you're willing to admit that and try and like leave amicably so that we can continue doing the show and you can continue focusing on what you want to focus on. Wait, I like the idea of doing things. Corey, you're a piece of shit. I know. I mean, totally. We're, we're this, is like, this is like world known. Like, it, how can I ruin this form? Let's see. Uh, how can I actually burn a bridge with you? You're so nice, Corey. Everything's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to not, you know, uh, yeah. Amicably is like the only way. Like, you just gotta be, you know, straight up and honest about it. So, um, yeah, you know, I think, uh, I hope people miss me. I don't know. But, you know. So I reached out, like, after Colin decided that he wanted to move on, um, which I fully support, I tried to think about who, I needed to find someone to replace him, because doing a show by yourself isn't nearly as fun. Um, and so, replacing someone who has, I guess the chops to speak technically on a very broad range of subjects, be able to be critical without being an asshole. Um, so the question being able to kind of steer, steer conversations in a way, um, that isn't obvious to the listener or the person that you're, or the, or the person you're talking to, uh, like the, the, I guess the qualities that I'm looking for in a show like this are hard to find. Um, and so I, I thought about who I know that, uh, would benefit from doing something like this, who would enjoy it, has the capability of doing it. And I reached out to Dean, who I work with in some capacity at status, uh, because in my opinion, he fit all of those bills. And at the same time, like immediately after I talked with Dean about this and he, he said he'd like to try doing it, uh, John contacted me and said with a, with a hell of a pitch on, um, expressing his interest for joining the show too. So, uh, I basically just said, all right, let's, let's bring it in. I'll have everyone do it. I think spreading the load across multiple people is easier because as Colin put it, like, all right, uh, Cello called this because it's difficult to carry on doing a podcast for a long period of time if it becomes a burden. And so the goal here is to have very qualified people, uh, continue the show in such a way that uh, it doesn't make any significant burden on any individual. So, uh, yeah. I will say this too. Go ahead. Dean was my first choice. Like, I don't know you, John, otherwise I might have chose you. You know how that is. <laughs> but like, like no yeah, no, uh, Dean, Dean was like my first choice. When you said Dean, I was like, yes, we're on the same page, Corey and I. Yes. Yeah, no, Dean, Dean you definitely were, were the person I was thinking, you know, Corey should head up. So. so I'm going to ask you a, 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 uh, a loaded question here, John, only, only to kind of make me feel better about myself. Why did you, why did you reach out to me? Why did you want to, to put your name in the hat for becoming a co-host of the show? What did you want? Yeah. Well, uh, well, sir, I think, so you put out the call in, uh, in the telegram channel, like, Hey, I'm looking for people. And I mean, I, I sort of assumed you would be inundated with, with people. Uh, jumping on the opportunity. I waited a few days because I just generally try not to make snap decisions about how to spend my time and like overcommit to things. 
Um, but I, I thought about it and I just kept thinking, about it. I was like, this is such an opportunity because, and, and you and I had been talking about it like a couple weeks before even I'd asked you about the podcast and it just seems like such a perfect way to learn. Like I already listened to hashing, you know, and I learn a lot from the people you talk to on it. And I can sort of tell that the reason you do it, are, I think, is like so that you have an excuse to invite really smart people to talk to you about what they're doing and learn from them. And I think it's uh, there's one thing to like listen to a podcast while you're washing dishes or, or running, but it's a completely different thing to have to engage in the conversation deeply enough that, you know, you have a model of what's in, in the other person's head. Um, and you have to like have some idea about what they know going into it. So I, I just think it'll, uh, it, it's like a really great hack for learning a lot of different topics, um, much more effectively, I think. You nailed why I do it. Like at least partially, like that's, it's, it's a great way to force yourself to stay, um, up to date with the things you're interested in by talking with people directly and being able to ask them questions. So what about you, Dean? Like, why did you say yes when I asked you? So for me, it was also uh, the learning because what, what I found is that I feel like on podcasts, we get people who are currently more relevant and uh, whose work is currently more relevant. And um, my research mainly has kind of turned to far older uh, research where I'm missing out a lot of the new stuff coming out. And so I feel like being on a podcast gives me the ability to uh, stay informed with like what's latest in this, in, in this space. So just to be mindful of that, like we don't have to limit ourselves to what's new in any way, shape or form, right? This is, this show is not about new projects in blockchain. Uh, yeah, what is this show if the show is about trying to understand Grok, um, explain, like show interesting work being done in, I would call like the decentralization space, right? Or cryptography, like difficult problems that are being worked on or have been worked on for a long period of time that many don't know about or understand completely. And just trying to get the people on who've been influential in those things talk about them, understand them, and expose them to a, like a broader audience. And so like that could mean anything that you personally feel interested, like like peer-to-peer systems, cryptography, uh, like distributed distributed systems, uh, let's see here, like you you, you name it. In terms yeah, of like technical, Glenn Weil on here, like radical market. Glenn Weil, you're talking about crypto economics. Dean, he's your favorite person, I know that. Someone actually just gave me a radical markets book. And I don't know what best to do with it because I'm sure as hell not going to read it. Dean hates makes Dean a great not a fan of Glenn Wild, So uh, honestly, I've soured on it too. But like that's the whole goal, right? Is like you're interested in things. There's things that become you know wax and wane in terms of popularity. We want to try and talk about them from a very technical level to get an idea of like why they become popular, uh, why they're influential, um, and, and to figure out like where they may fit into a to a larger ecosystem? Like, why is this useful in any given context? And why would someone use it or take advantage of it? Or what is a change that um, previous solutions didn't change? So, like, it's up to us 
craft whatever that is, and it's based on our interests. That's really about it. And and who do you think the audience is? Like, you know, who's it for? Dog, you're on the show right now. It's you. You listen to the show. You're the audience, man. You get to make this whatever you want. If there's somebody out there that you really want to talk to, you go, hey, bro, I got a podcast. And nine times out of ten, they're like, I want a microphone in my face. And they'll say yes. Um, actually, the harder people are like mathematicians. Yeah, like the hardest people to find to get to book were like Andrew Polstra was hard for us to book. Like really hard for us to book. Um and uh, I actually, uh, I, you know, I I got lucky with that one because we tried for a while. And Sorry, we we Andrew Polstra. Um, am I pronouncing Buckshire. his name right? Actually? Yeah, Buckshire. Um math guy. So uh, he's um, he's really brilliant. Every time I've seen him talk, it's it's or seen a talk of his, it's been really insightful. Um, and I've really wanted him on, but you know, he's skeptical of podcasts. Like, oh, are they just going to ask me to shill Bitcoin or something like that? I guess I'm assuming. I don't know. But I went through Russell, I think, and uh, got it. Got you know, he helped us connect the dots to get him on. And see, anybody you want, if if you can just get them to hear what this show's about in this space, typically they're they're going to be interested in being on the program. It's a quality program. Yeah, I was going to say like. Once people understand the format of the show and it's not, I'm not kind of, there's no real agenda. Like we're not trying to get people to say things or do things or uh, craft a specific narrative and then get people to kind of uh, follow along with it. They tend to open up and really just kind of talk about the things they're passionate about. And if you get the right people, uh, you get like a really good explanations of technical topics that are interesting without really like trying that hard. And it's also information you can't get anywhere else, uh, which is something that I've always really enjoyed, right? If you can get people to open up and start to really talk about the things that they're passionate about, uh, you first, you learn a lot about why the person does what they do, what they think about it. It gives intuition about that thing you may not, you might not be able to get anywhere else. And it's information you can't get from a website. And so like, it's, it's, that's why, that's basically why I podcast is that you get people to come on and talk about things that they care about. You get to ask them questions that, um, you wouldn't necessarily get a chance to if you try and go through traditional means like a support ticket system or online wikis and things like that. And so like, that's, that's what I want this show to be. And in the process of doing that, you broadcast it out and give it to people for free and they thank you for it. That's, that's it. And so. If that's something you're into, then that's what this is. And you have the opportunity to kind of help me figure out who to talk to, what to talk about, and so on and so forth without being it too big of a deal because the format of the show doesn't require a lot of post-production. It's just record, throw a couple of filters on it, and throw it out there. So with that in mind, like what types of things do you want to talk about? Like, okay, say for Dean... What are your current interests right now? Right now, I'm getting a lot into more traditional distributed systems reading. So probably a lot of the things that will be interesting to me is speaking to like some of the uh, older professors who were working on like things which we're actually implementing now, like Barbara Liskoff and Leslie Lamport and people like that. 
What would you ask him? Like, what do you want to, what do you want to talk to him about? I don't know. I, firstly, with like people who were working on, so I listened to the podcast yesterday, um, Zero Knowledge podcast with, uh, the researcher from VMware. I mm-hmm. forgot his name right now. And I, I think one of the interesting points raised in that podcast was the fact that people were coming up with all these Byzantine fault tolerant consensus algorithms. But at the time when they were inventing them, there was actually no practical use case to any of them. So it would be interesting to see their opinions on like what is actually happening in this space with people implementing these things, how they feel about their research being implemented. And if they see themselves like working on this stuff ever again, because of the fact that it's now become uh, practical research. Do you think they don't, I was curious that kind of about that. Like, do you think they like are super happy that a lot of their, a lot of their work that was done from an intellectual standpoint is now the subject of so many practical applications, but typically kind of done terribly? So, no, that, that might be a good point. And I think a lot of, um, a lot of them may have the feeling that they're, um, that their work is getting used for purely scams, which I, I, I hear a lot from academia where they think that a lot of um, things in blockchain, just because it mentions blockchain is inherently a scam. And so it would be interesting to know like how many of these professors have actually looked into some of the stuff that's coming out of this space on like a deeper level. What about you, John? Um, well, one, one, one thing I'm excited about, like, Dean being on this as well is that I feel like, like, the consensus, that's like the consensus algorithms, the consensus layer is somewhere that I'd like to learn a lot more. I always feel kind of lost. Um, so that'll be a bonus, but, but where I, I, I guess I like naturally gravitate towards is security stuff and, and like a bit higher level. So, Security processes, language design, um, and like the human factors that go into security, like just like what it takes to build a, a culture of security that, that doesn't, you know, end up blowing up, uh, your, your small startup or, and losing everybody's money. Um, and I, I, I've been like, I'm starting to get actually excited about DeFi and DAOs, uh, and, I was, I was somewhat skeptical of both those things for a little bit, but the, the more I look at it and, and actually see those things happening and, and people doing really crazy things with permissionless innovation, um, I would say I'm, I, I feel drawn to it. And I'm very excited about it while at the same time, like, uh, I don't know, I, like, I feel like we're going to watch people continue to screw up in, in very exciting ways for a little while now, but it's fun to be along the ride. Yeah. Part of that. So who would be like the first person that you, sorry. Go ahead, Colin. It would be like the first kind of people that you would probably reach out to then. Um, so like Dean said, you know, he wants Lipscoff and uh, Lamport. Those are ambitious, by the way. But, um, like yeah. what would, uh, what, what would be the, uh, I hope you like them. Please. That'd be so awesome. The um, what, what kind of people are you like looking at right now that that uh, 
you know, who's researching you're specifically reading and who's, who's just been coming up on your radar a lot that you think you might be like interested in reaching out to? Uh, reach out and maybe they'll hear this episode and proactively reach out themselves. Yeah. Um, what is, is the first person that came to mind, uh, is Hillel Wayne. Um, his name on, on Twitter, he's Hillelogram. And, uh, I think that like, like he's, he's sort of an expert in, in formal methods and testing, but, uh, like programming language design. He just seemed, and he's, he's really interesting. Like he, he's like very engaged and always asking questions. Um, like, you know, a recent Twitter thread was just, what's your favorite language feature, uh, in whatever language it is. And, um, so he, he manages to, to do that, like both very, very deeply technical. He's, uh, always, like, he works a lot with TLA plus and, and so formal specification, formal modeling, but, but also brings in the, like, things about the human layer and, and, and what humans actually need to build secure software, which I think is, uh, like, really the ultimate challenge. So, so yeah, I hadn't thought about that until just now, but uh, I'll reach out to him. Weird mixture of, like, all of us here. Uh, Dean, you started working on some, some TLA plus specifications of Ava. Like, yeah, I what did. What made you do that and why? Cause like, for one, like, that's kind of this strange thing that we all have in common in some way, shape, or form, right? Like, you, I basically um, just read all the stuff you write. So that's, that's the only thing I have here and I'm a part of the show. But like, Colin works at Ava and John literally just talked about his interests, which include things like formal specification languages like TLA plus. Like what, what made you do that? And why, like why? So TLA plus is essentially the language, which is used if you want to test a distributor or concurrent algorithms. And the problem with it is, is it's, it's syntax is really, it takes quite some getting used to, and it's kind of impossible to learn unless I feel like you actually have something that is um, simple enough to spec out in the TLA in, in a TLA specification. And consensus algorithms in general are concurrent distributed algorithms, which are perfect for implementing in TLA, but pretty much every other consensus algorithm, which would be simple enough to implement in TLA has already been implemented in TLA. Whereas Ava seemed like kind of this low hanging fruit, which was not too hard of a consensus algorithm to implement and had not been implemented yet. And that's why I went with that. And I was mainly interested in learning more about um, the Avalanche consensus protocol family in general anyways, because I was doing some reading on it. Uh, what? I'm sorry. I, I was answering a text. Hey, what's up, podcasting? What, what, was there a question for me, or is this like, because Corey waved me on, like, the Snow Family Consensus I heard that a second ago. Sorry, dogs are barking. Had to mute for a bit. Uh, oh, okay. So, um, yeah, like, like Dean started that. working this on the we'll cut it out. specs. Yeah, it's, or we won't. <laughs> doesn't matter. This is a meta episode. Uh, Whatever, yeah. Dean's doing, like, a TLA specification of, of Avalanche. Like, what's the benefit of specking out something like a consensus algorithm 
in a technical specification technical specific specification language like TLA plus. Like what do you get out of that, Dean? If you ask Leslie Lamport, the answer would probably be that uh, if you don't have a formal specification, you don't have a real algorithm yet. But um, with, with things like TLA, what you can then do is you can check the model and assert that your safety and liveness assumptions actually hold. Because what it will do is it will run your model with every possible um, state that it can generate and see that all the safety and liveness um Assumptions still hold. So that's super useful. For example, um, I think it was MongoDB. They had this entire replication algorithm and thought that it works up until they had uh, then decided to model it in TLA. And after like a couple of years, essentially found that there was a bug in their original implementation of their replication algorithm, which they would not have found without formally modeling it. And it, it took them a few years. It took them, it, it, it took them a few years to essentially find the bug because they had only written the implementation of it in TLA after like two or three years of already running this replication algorithm in production. Oh yeah, so not a few years of TLA writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, first off, I'm not, I'm not a mathy guy. Like I'm not that kind of computer scientist. I'm not even Sure, I can call myself a computer scientist anymore because I've met people who are real deep and they are way different than I am. Um, but <laughs> Kevin Sekniki, Kevin Sekniki, uh, did do the mathematical Markov chain analysis on the Snow protocols, um, which is essentially a TLA. Um, you know, it's, 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 so my question is like, what about that analysis did you find insufficient? And, um, do you think that the TLA will actually bring to the table? I have not actually read that analysis. So I'm sure that the team has done analysis. As said, for me, the, the main goal with doing the TLA specification in Avalanche was just to, one, learn more about Avalanche, the family, and learn TLA better. Cool. And we're calling it kind of the Snow family lately, but people have been mixing that up a lot just because we have Avalanche and Snowman. One's chain, one's dag, and they're both kind of a little different in the way they handle stuff. So we call the overall thing Snow Family Consensus, and then the individual implementations be Avalanche and um, Snowman. At least that's what we've been doing so far. But it doesn't seem quite as sticky. I, I is is the sorry? I think it, I think it'd be it, interesting to good to bring Colin and Kevin or Goon back on the show now that Dean is a part of it with his interest in this stuff to go through. Um, this this family of of consensus algorithms again. I mean, we've done it before, but I think it's interesting to do it again with a new lens uh, of Dean and the things that he's interested in. I think that'd be great. Kevin would be a great person to have on. Kevin and Stephen. Stephen Butoff, also a really great guy. He needs a microphone in his face. I'd love to do that too. I really like both Kevin and Gun. I talk to them every now and then. John, how did you how did you go from math guy, which is a broad broad thing to call yourself, to the human lens of security? Like, uh, yeah, I'm not sure that I am. Like, sort of like Colin, I don't. I really enjoy math. Uh, I, I was really drawn to it, but I do, I do, I do. But I don't. Doesn't feel like it's 
totally natural to me. Um, the human side of security. I, I don't know. I guess I, I think I've always been somewhat, uh, for lack of a better term, like, like less on the autistic spectrum than a lot of engineers. Um, so, so I, I, I do find people interesting and think that they are kind of, um, they're, they're core to, to making things work. Um, <laughs> we can cut that if we have to. Uh, but the same way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I think it takes that to, to want to talk to people a lot. Uh, and I, I find that that, that kind of, um, yeah, you get, you get the like, the super nerdy analytical types, uh, and, and, and they're very powerful in a way, but, uh, it's still humans at the end of the day. And I think that like making things actually work is sort of, um, I like the saying that you should write your code, not for, not for, not to impress people, but like for the guy who's just trying to get through an eight hour day so he can get home and watch football or something like that. Like that's who, should be able to read your code and understand it and maintain it in the future. Um, those are the, the things that I find interesting. Can you name an example not, where the human isn't the thing at the end? Like, is there a thing that doesn't end. involve a human user? You know what I mean? Like, we're, like we're, we use this, we use coding and technology as a kind of a amplifier for human desire or convenience or something else. Are there instances where that's not the case? Like code for code's sake or code for, I mean, every L code is intended to run on a machine at some point. Um, for, a, for a specific use yeah. thing that ultimately serves some human. Sure. Like, uh, what was it? Uh, Voyager? Like there's a space probe that we sent out that is running software that no human will ever interact with again. Um, I guess we wrote it to feel good about what it's doing uh, out there, but we can only just think about it and feel warm and fuzzy about it. Like it's playing like uh, I don't know, probably like a Wagner symphony or something like that. So. <laughs> I don't know. Otherwise, I, I think it always you in the sense that like the majority of the things that we do are, are for humans, and so. Taking yeah. them out of the loop or into consideration is is usually a, a you never you're not going to have a good time. Okay, it was a softball rhetorical question, not uh, challenging. Can you name no. some software that's not for people? No, there's no. <laughs> Took the challenge too literally. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's always it's always to to meet and satisfy human needs. Um, but we forget that sometimes. I think. Uh, so I, part of uh, what I like about um, this moving forward, uh, especially with having kind of uh, more people involved outside of uh, just me and one other person, is that it's it spreads uh, it spreads a few things. One is the domain expertise or the interest. Uh, like you said, you're more interested in things that Dean is not, and so, but there's an overlap here, but it's not that large. No, but so, super interested in what. Dean is interested in. I just don't have like, uh, you know, I try to focus and like stay in my lane for lack of a better term at times, but so like consensus algorithms are over there. It's this like very sexy area that I, I just wish I could be like 
know deeper and know more about. So I'm, I'm really excited to just like, uh, draft, like just like, just like learn from what like spills off of, of Dean's conversations. That's going to be awesome. It's straight up though. It's hilarious that people are subtly going consensus out. Like, <laughs> the consensus protocols <laughs> are this sexy area of computer science. <laughs> like literally historically, they were like bottom of the barrel. There's like 200 people in the world who know anything about them. And now it's like suddenly this growing field of research, but like, People didn't, are still playing catch up because for like 20, 30 years, like nobody gave a shit. And then, well, yeah, Bitcoin I mean, think comes. about that, right? Like, <laughs> like the first, I guess, I guess the main application of like distributed consensus algorithms that brought a lot of attention to them was money, right? Like, yep. you found something that grew that had value associated with it and not pure academia and some obscure scientific area like the underlying fundamentals of how that stuff works blows up because there's human greed attached to it dude it's kind of like it's true like money will bring anything make anything up like look at ethereum like it was cute until ICOs, and then suddenly it's like ethereum the world supercomputer is gonna rechange everything DeFi, 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 DeFi. you know it's like uh we're gonna build like like shit that like has computing power you can pay for on demand and it'll be safe. Don't worry about it. We'll we'll, we'll use game theory. Wave fans. But like yeah, man, like put money into something and people suddenly start getting imaginations. Um and uh I think that's what's going on here is that, you know, the imagination has been sparked. And I do think that there's a lot of interesting stuff in, in consensus. And I'm excited to watch you grow from the podcast, John, because there's a lot more to this space than just security. And um, security is way different in this space than it is in other spaces. And a lot of that's due to the fact that we have consensus as the root layer of everything that we're doing. It's incredible to watch this kind of like MPC, multi-party computation, like systems, like impact the way that we view security and financial systems because it's been so incredibly centralized in the past. So um, you can't ignore it. You can't ignore, like, what does safety versus liveness trade-offs mean. You just can't. Um, and I think it's going to be really interesting to watch you kind of, like, get deep into that because you're going to need to know it. And uh, I think the audience needs to learn about it. So I'm glad that you're here to explore that. Um, and I can't wait to listen. Yeah, I'm happy to prep the audience in my question asking. Yeah, there's definitely a multidisciplinary aspect of all of these things, which is kind of... Um, this is something I found out during my PhD was like my, my PhD is in a, like a bastardization of computer science, chem, chemistry and physics. And it was, uh, it was incredibly multidisciplinary. And so I had to learn a lot of things that I wasn't necessarily taught, uh, formally during my undergraduate. And it, and it became clear that anything that's novel, most of the things that are novel today are going to be inherently multidisciplinary. And if you, take that idea and bring it into um, the decentralization or blockchain um, or like trustless industry, whatever the hell you want to call this thing, it's incredibly multidisciplinary, bringing in a bunch of different um, traditional specialties and trying to meld them together in ways that this is not necessarily haven't been done before. We talk about consensus algorithms, economics, cryptography, uh, it's like social like community behavior, like all of these weird things that come together that ha- that seem disparate 
before this technology are now like inexorably intertwined. And so like a show like this tries to look at each of the things and figure out how they work and what happens within them and then try and puzzle piece them together into like the broader picture of like, how can you put them together to make something that's, that's useful or like that, that serves the demands and requirements of all the stuff that we're trying to build ultimately to like make humans lives better or more trust, trustworthy or get people the power back or whatever your, your, your narrative du jour is. And so like we need to bring people in together with different areas of interest and expertise to ask those questions because I may not be able to ask a poignant question to someone in distributed systems that Dean made because he's, he's that's where his focus of attention is right now. Same for you, John. Like I'm in security, but you're you're all you're you're I'd say deeper in security and with with more experience and something like that, right? And so like I'm a broad niche, like yeah, very nichey. So that's, so that's kind of what I look forward to is us being able to kind of uh, broaden the topics as well as like increase the like the quality of questioning when you're talking about these things. But ultimately, it should always be a conversation like this, just with different people in the room. Like I, I we always tell our guests like when they before we start the show, uh, they're like because I they're already expecting to kind of have a traditional podcast interview where they have to shill or answer point like very specific questions pushing a narrative or something like that it's like no you're at a bar with some technical people and they're asking you questions and you're having a conversation it's it's laid back it's conversational and the audience should feel like they're at the bar too they unfortunately just don't have the opportunity to speak up the unfortunate part about our, our the way the show, the way we formatted it, is that the latter half of the episode is where the real meat and potatoes is. You know, the first part is typically the shill. This is what we do. This is why we do it. This is where I'm from. This is who I am. I'm, you know, I like long walks on the beach and um, puppies. You know, like seriously, like they that's like the first half hour typically in most episodes. But you get to the second half hour, and man, we're just like, well, that's where things start getting deep because we have the information we need. We have the setup done, and then that's where things become. Particularly interested. So we're getting, we're into the second half of the episode now. I'm kind of curious, what are you two built, what have you two built in the past that got you to where you are now? What is your, what is your, um, so you say, I've got a background in, in security. I'm focusing on, on a consensus, but how did you land in this particular place in time? How did you become the person that you are today? Because I think it's important for the audience to know what you bring to the table when you ask these questions because it frames the background of the questions you're going to answer. Like for me, I'm not gonna lie, I started as a web development in the late nineties. Like that's where I came from. Built through that, built through built a career through that because that's where the money was. Um, you know, uh but for you guys, like you're both very uh, into very deep fields. Um and so like let's start with you, John. What is what what got you into the security role in crypto specifically. Yeah. Um, well, so when I first, I guess I first got into Ethereum through, like I, I went to DevCon in Shanghai. Um, and, and when I was there, which was uh, late 2016. Uh, and so that was, you know, a few months after the DAO hack and in Shanghai, there was this, um, 
like you might refer to as the love with love from Shanghai attack, uh, which, uh, was a pretty crazy attack at the, like on the, I think the gas layer. And, uh, basically what it did was, um, somebody figured out that if you self-destruct an account, um, you got all your gas money back, I believe, but like it would stay there and it continue to take up state space and just like screw everything up. Um, so they started doing this massively and there was like a real time response, get developers and carry developers hanging out in hotel lobbies fixing this. Uh, so that really underscored the, the like the critical nature of security in the space. I mean, I always thought it was obvious, uh, even before when I was watching the Dow take off while I was working at Coinbase. Um, and I was in like a, while I was there, I was in like a, a developer support kind of role. So, uh, I was helping developers work with APIs and, and that Coinbase was developing and, and integrate the Coinbase software. And so I, don't know, I just had a very deep understanding of the fact that bugs always exist in software. Like you get bugs in software because you deal with it all the time, like, and help people deal with them. So I remember thinking like, there's just, how is it that everybody's like so confident that this software just, just works as advertised? Um, you know, not to say that I like bet against it and had skin in the game in some way, but it, it felt self-evident to me at the time that that, that couldn't go well. Um, so, so I, you know, I'd say that really drew me to it. And then I was also drawn at the time to the people I met at that conference from consensus. Um, and it, it happened to be like the people I met there were like, were, you know, Joseph Chow for one and, and others. And the need was in security when I joined. And so when I first joined consensus, I, you know, wouldn't say I was like a security. I, I mean, I had a lot to learn. Um, Okay, slight backtrack actually, like before I joined Consensus, what I did to, to learn a lot about the space and Solidity was help Nick, uh, Nick Johnson, uh, write a specification for the first ENS, um, launch. Who's our first, who's our first person we ever interviewed, by the way? Yeah. I mean, I know Dean, like, is, works with him very closely, way more closely than I am, and I, I wish I still had more time to work with Nick. Um, yeah, I feel like I, I owe him a real debt. I, I learned a lot from him. Yeah, he's great. Where am I going? Uh, yeah, so, so you know, I joined, I joined Consensus and, and that's like this diligence team was sort of forming up at the time and I just, uh, I did everything I could to, to help make it happen and, and help where I could and, uh, you know, I, I felt like an imposter at first. Um, feel really confident in my, uh, ability to contribute to the security conversation. Smart contract uh, layer, app layer, human layer at this point. So, yeah, I hope that answers the question and wasn't too wordy. I'm still getting the feeling for, for yeah, that. That's, that's exactly perfect. I mean, that's it, it definitely laid out how you got here, and that's really what I've got to want to know is like, what chops did you bring to the table when you ask questions? You come from this framework of understanding, and it's important that you know people understand what your framework is. So, yeah, I mean, like, um, Deck Anus, um, sorry, Dean, um, <laughs> what you the GitHub handle there? <laughs> Fun fact, 
Decanus translates to Dean in Latin. Yeah, I know. I know. I looked it up. Uh, it's pretty interesting. Uh, the principal or Dean, I think, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, um, and it has a background to it as well because I think it means like 10 something. I can't even remember yeah. now. The, like leader of 10 or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The original units they had were like 10 people. And so the person who ran those 10 people was the, was a decanus. And then that person actually, it just kind of like grew from there into something, you know, where it's morphed and changed. Anyway. It's just funny because I can't not see the anus part because I'm a child. Um, Fair. <laughs> I, get, I get that quite a bit. Okay, cool. I was a naive child when I cho- chose that name. Oh, this will be cool. I'm going to have to anus. <laughs> Go ahead. I, where do you come from? I, I pretty much started working professionally in software development at the age of 15, which is when I dropped out of high school, started in iOS development, and then quickly moved to e-commerce where I was working at one of Switzerland's largest e-commerce websites where we had like few distributed systems problems that we were working on solving, which was mainly about like scaling um, the server well enough and things like consistency when it comes to a shopping cart and stuff like that. Uh, and while I was doing that, I discovered Ethereum pretty much, and I met this guy called Matthew DeFrente. I don't even remember how I had met him. I think it was because, oh, I remember now, actually. I was working on a something kind of like Aragon and posted it on Reddit, and he was a security auditor and shat all over how insecure my code was. Um, and then we got into conversation, and we... I quickly joined his team doing security audits where I then like worked (laughs) for, (laughs) I worked on that for like a solid two years. And in that period of time, I was introduced to Nick Johnson where I then started working on ENS with him and quickly became like one of the main developers on that team. And then after two years of, doing smart contract security and having to deal with clients, I kind of got fed up with it and decided that I wanted to do something that's no longer smart contracts or blockchains. And I was looking for a new position and Jared had then hit me up that he was looking for someone to do protocol research for a new messaging protocol at status. And I had gotten quite a few offers, but that was really the only one which let me um, dive into distributed systems problems beyond like the blockchain and so that was the thing to me which i was like the natural fit and so for a little over a year now i've been doing that at status consistently reading and trying to get as much knowledge as i can in the field of distributed systems that sums it up right on well it sounds like you picked well Corey. Um, very, very, dude, who drops out of high school at 15 and become a professional? Like, how did you, like, nothing. Yeah, I was playing <laughs> Super Mario 64, I, I think. video games, yeah. and going to school. <laughs> Final Fantasy 7 just came out, and I was all about that. Uh, <laughs> seriously, though, like, that's pretty impressive. Um, I didn't even know you could do that. Oh, I guess you're, in, you're, you're not American. Um, it's a little hard, I think, for a 15-year-old to kind of just drop out and become a professional. 
here. I don't know if that's yeah, these days. I don't think, so. or not. I think it's easier now. If you have this, if you have the chops and you can you can um, contribute quality work to somebody, I don't think they really. Maybe I guess labor laws that have an issue, but. In, in Switzerland, there's the benefit that it um, that we have the apprenticeship system. So at the age of 16, people either decide to like, do an apprenticeship in a specific career, which you can do in really anything in Switzerland. So you can get an apprenticeship in software development. You can do whatever. Or they continue high school to continue um, with university later on. So what I had done is I I dropped out. I did an internship in iOS development while I was searching for an apprenticeship in software development. So my time in e-commerce was uh, finishing my apprenticeship, essentially. I feel like the apprenticeship system is one of the greatest losses of North American civilization, at least. Uh, In Switzerland, it's amazing. It's great. It meant that I don't have to go to high school and do all this crap that I didn't care about and could focus on Funny something enough, that I really did. You're now kind of turning that um, and seeking traditional education to like supplement the things you're interested in, right? Yeah. Like you're actively looking for the associated wisdom of, of old traditional systems education. Yeah. But not through, like, you're not... But that's not high school stuff to... by any means, right? Like, that's, like yeah. a, that's more like graduate-level degrees in college. Yeah. But it's but still not through a traditional system. Like, are you going back to school, Dean? Um, I, I was considering it, which was actually one of the reasons I had I was talking to Gun um, was the discussion of whether or not I want to do some form of degree in computer science. I'm still kind of on the fence. I'm not entirely sure, but I'm 21, so I think there's quite a bit of time to. Yeah, uh, I want to. honestly, I would have gone your route if I could have, to be frank with you. I think it's I think it's a lot better. I mean, I never really enjoyed college. <laughs> it took me 10 years just to suffer through a degree. Um, you know, but the whole time I'm working like crazy. So it's not like, you know, I don't know. I just feel like um, there's, a, there's definitely two types of people. The people who succeed in academics are typically, um, you know, just cut from a different cloth. And I think, uh, I think, That's uh, go you know, <laughs> someone, uh, someone who's, who's technically wow. in academics. I was wondering where you were going to go with that. Well, I mean, Corey, you've got words about academia. Yeah. It's, I love it. I'm, I was built for it. It's my favorite. Is that what, uh, is that what you love? That's uh, not what you've told me. Come on. I don't, I don't recommend it to most people. It's not something that everyone should do. It shouldn't be the standard and you can waste a lot of money and time doing it. Um, by not having a clear clear goal of what you're trying to do, especially if you're forcing yourself to do it and you're not cut from that cloth. Um, yeah. And it seems to me like you have to have a higher threshold of bullshit tolerance to get through academics that you do just in practicals. Maybe I'm depends. wrong about that. Depends on um, depends on where you are and what you're doing. Um, so the, 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 the variance in um, curriculum across schools for the different degrees is, is so different that you can't give like broad broad statements about that like for me i i think i had um i was incredibly lucky with where i went and who i was taught by uh, which shaped who i am today and gave me a lot of the skills that i have which has led to my success like but like i know a lot of people in very similar situations in some cases my classmates who 
did not have the same. Uh, and so like for me, it worked really well and I do it over and over and over again. If I had the, 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 the money and time and lack of responsibility, I would be a professional student for the rest of my life. I would have multiple PhDs and I just stay in school because that's what's, that, that's what interests me. But like, no, not, that's not a lot of people. Like most people don't give a shit or like don't want to do that. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, definitely, uh, not me. I'll put it to you that way. Um, but it's, you know, um, we need those people. So I'm not trying to sound down on it. It's just like, you know, there's different kinds of people in this world. I, I really would have benefited, I think, from an apprenticeship program and a journeymanship. I think, like, technology has changed quite a bit in terms of access to information. So like you can get yep. access to a lot of the same information that was typically walled off, uh, during a, uh, a, some education course, like some degree. The what you don't get typically, and I think we as a society are trying to figure out ways of doing it, is the wisdom associated with how you get that information, what order to take it in, um, the gotchas. Like, in my opinion, an expert is someone who knows exactly what not to do. Mm. Uh, that's usually yeah. through experience. Yeah. Or making the mistake. Yeah. Like, this is things, like, I think a lot of software design, huh? It's hard to do that on the internet. So you end up wasting a lot it of time. Isn't. It isn't. I learned that way. That's how I learned. I learned by fucking up. Do you know how I learned how, how to do Linux file permissions properly? I blew away okay. a server. I'm not saying you can't <laughs> like do a live I'm server. It's an <laughs> now, it's terrible. And don't get me wrong, it's, it's awful. But this is like 1999. I'd never touched a Unix system in my life because everything was Windows. You know, that's where all cool games were. Not a lot of people had, like, Linux was still kind of fresh, you know, in a lot of people's minds. I don't think Red Hat even IPO'd yet. And, uh, no, they didn't until, like, 2001, I believe. Um, so, like, yeah, like, I'm, I'm here, I'm given this internship, and somebody drops a server in front of me, and I'm getting sick of sudoing into root. Or, not, sudo didn't exist. SU into root. And it was annoying the hell out of me, and I'm on this APUX, like, cluster, and I was just like, I can't. Logging into the server every time for what I was trying to do was annoying me, so I shamotted 777 slash. <laughs> Is that how you say that? Shamotted? I've never heard someone call it that. Yeah. Never heard it. What do you call it? Chmod? What do you call it? I say ch mod. I'm going to start calling it chmod. Yeah, chmod. So I literally blew away the server and I'm like, here I am like 17 years old at this physics laboratory where they're doing like high computational stuff and I'm like, please don't take away my privileges. Like, they were nice about it, you know, and there were tape backups, but. Um, you know, it was, it, it took the essays like a day to get that server back online. I mean, um, so I, I, you know, <laughs> from that point forward, I made sure that I knew what the hell final permissions were and how they worked and why they were that way and how, why the operating system does that thing. And it was a hard ass lesson that smacked me across the side of my face, but you know, I was a better developer for it. Um, does, is that the best way to go about things? Not for everybody, but I tell you what, if you made me read that in the course, I'd only memorize it for the course. If I get smacked across the face, I'm going to remember it for the rest of my life. Well, all right. I'd say we wrap up on that. Damn, that's pretty <laughs> damn Can you change? Can we please like not go through the fact that Colin needs the school hard knocks for goddamn everything? Oh, no, that's <laughs> a legitimate point. Um, yeah, I, think it, I think it's a conversation to be had some other time for longer, but uh, we're running out of time here. 
And uh, I wanted to thank Colin for starting this with me, bringing it to where it is, and then passing off the torch to uh, two people who I think are going like, to make it grow even more. So uh, thanks for joining me, Dean and John. I look forward to what we can do with this. Uh, and Colin, we'll see you back, and best of luck, man. Right on, right on. Thanks for having me. Thanks, uh, thanks for the opportunity to do hashing it out. Thank All you. Right. It's good to be here. Yep. Thanks, guys. <laughs>